Hello and welcome to Wine and Real Estate. And today I'm really excited. I have some great guests joining me from beautiful Canada. I'm currently in Costa Rica for those that follow me. I am heading to Panama soon and doing all kinds of other travel. But I wanted to take a moment because these, these guys are joining us and they're going to join us live in Tayas del Coco. Just before coming on air, we were talking about location, beaches, things like that. So some fun stuff. Uh, welcome, Richard Canfield and Vern McCarty. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about becoming your own banker. So how can you afford this beach life and things like that? So welcome, guys. Pumped. Excited to be here. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. Thanks yes. for having Oh, my pleasure. So I'm excited to learn more about your background. Who, who are you and how can becoming your own banker help you maybe move to Costa Rica? or a nice warm place, or buy a warm place, who knows? So uh, let's start with Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, the the process of becoming your own banker has been a game changer for, for my life. And uh, I, I first learned about it in 2009. And okay, so wow. uh, I had you know this amazing book called Becoming Your Own Banker. For anyone watching you on YouTube, you can see the book in the background there. So I, I had a chance to read that book. It was recommended by a friend of mine. And then uh, that, that turned into me realizing like, holy crap, uh, all this time I've spent learning about investment real estate and all these other things and the courses and the seminars and the membership groups that I'd gone to, uh, they'd all taken a lot of my money. And yeah, I'd, I'd acquired some real estate, but there was another way that I could have built equity and had ongoing lifelong cash flow. And I just didn't know it existed. And so when I learned about the process of becoming your own banker, I started to recognize that we all have to store money somewhere. Money has to be yes. stored. You have to put, you know, in Canada, we have snow banks. And there's no snow banks in Costa Rica, I know, but in, in Canada, no. you're, you're very sand familiar banks. here. You, <laughs> you know, sand banks. And so you, you have a river bank. Well, that's like a storage area of something. You know, there's blood banks. Okay, well, that's a storage facility for blood that people need to, you know, provide life-saving surgeries. It's a storage. It's a warehouse. Well, things have to get stored and then they come out of the warehouse and then a new supply goes back into it. This is kind of how warehousing operates. Well, your bank account and how you operate your day-to-day -day life, your day-to-day -day living, money is like lifeblood for how you move. That cash flow comes in and out of your storage warehouse. Most people have it at a traditional bank account. What we teach people how to do in Nelson's concept, Nelson Nash, you developed this concept of becoming your own banker is to start to change where you warehouse that on an ongoing basis. And, you know, when you're warehousing money, you're saving money up, whether it's in, you know, whatever, maybe it's an investment type of a thing, or maybe it's a, a cash account, whatever, you're eventually going to deploy that money to do something like buy a piece of beach property, buy a vacation yeah. home, buy a property that you're going to use as a short-term rental, or just buy your, 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 whatever your investment real estate is. So you have to accumulate a pile of money. It's got to build up and up and up and up and up and up. Eventually, you've built up enough that you can go do something with it. You're going to, boom, it's going to go for down payment. It's going to go for renovation or whatever. So all of that activity is still in the banking process. The building up of the money, the, the, the warehousing of it, the choosing to take it from that location to go put it, you know, with the lawyer's office and escrow and eventually purchase a piece of title on a piece of property. That whole process involves the banking transaction environment. When we change the warehousing location from being with a traditional brick and mortar bank, and we instead shift that warehousing location with uh, a well-constructed insurance company where you co-own the company. You know, you can go buy stock in a bank like TD Bank or RBC Bank. You can go buy stock in them, 
but you don't really have any say. You don't have any vote. You don't have any really activity you can do there. And when you own a piece of the insurance company, you know, there's only select ways that you can become an owner in them. And all of their decision-making process is based on providing value for their owners. So you're in alignment with the entity that you co-own. When you build up your warehouse there, you have access to uh, uh, capital uh, capacity through basically like a line of credit, but it's called a policy loan. So you build up money inside of a policy and you could collateralize that policy and access capital with no questions asked. If you want to go do the same thing with a brick and mortar bank, there's a lot of questions asked. Now you've oh, got yes. a bunch of real estate, <laughs> buying real estate in other, in other countries, the types of questions you get asked, I suspect are very different. And that whole process of doing business with a traditional brick and mortar deposit taking bank is very cumbersome. And in, in, in this day and age, we're, you know, we're recording this, we're, we're approaching Christmas of 2023 and it's you know, it's abysmal out there. It's a difficult thing to go through the process of getting qualified these days. So you need to find a way where you can, you're not trying to circumvent those rules. You're just simply trying to secede from those rules, peacefully secede from a system that's not there to su support you and move your financial environment, the way in which you operate financially into an environment where you have more control and you can dictate the terms of the rules. That's really what the process of becoming your own banker is all about. So whether you're using it to buy investment real estate or you're using it to operate cash flows that run through your life, either way, you have to be storing money somewhere. It's got to live someplace. Where do you want it to live? In a place where you have less control, more rules, more hoops to jump through, or less of those things. That's kind of where the, the, the genesis of this whole thing begins. Yeah, it's much better than under the mattress. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old especially, especially if there's uh, you know, like uh, whatever geckos and salamanders and stuff coming into your room, they might be stealing that stuff. You just never know. Yes, yeah, and the money here, the currency. I mean, it's huge bills in Costa Rica. So yeah, you wouldn't want to store that. You'd have to really stuff a few mattresses. So okay, really interesting. Started in 2009, and when did you start becoming your own banker? Because you read the book, but it it wasn't instantaneous. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from reading the book, it was, you know, summer of 09, um, you know, getting frustrated, making the decision that uh, I couldn't I couldn't hold this information just to myself. I didn't feel like I would be operating my integrity, like I needed to share what I knew with other people. Otherwise, I, I kind of I basically I felt like I would be I would just be that jerk that goes around knowing something and not telling everyone else that it's good. It'd be like, oh, investment real estate's good. Oh, but I better not tell anyone. No one else should know uh -huh. that. Right. Like that's just it doesn't make me feel good. So I knew that I needed to share that with other individuals. And uh, by the time I actually got up and running and started, you know, I got it was early 2010 when I got my first policy. And, uh, you know, since that point in time, I'm, I have another one that's actually in operation right now. It's an underwriting. Uh, it's on a different person. It's on another life insured individual. And that'll be the 13th uh, policy in my family system. So we have a family system. There are multiple policies, think of them like multiple accounts or multiple pieces of real estate. Yeah. The difference is that I get to dictate and control the terms with them and I'm in the, the owner position, I'm in the control position. There's different bodies. So it's kind of like, okay, you can invest in Canada or Costa Rica or Panama. So those are different locations you could choose to invest. Well, I'm, I'm operating my financial warehouses on different bodies that are life insured. So I'm, I'm a body, my wife is one of the bodies, my two kids, and now I have a business partner that's going to be one of those. So there's, 
there's five bodies, but there's 13 uh, accounts, let's just call it, where I'm building and, and growing my warehouse so that I can utilize it for different things. I love it. So 13, about 13 years in the making, 13 accounts. So gives you an idea of scale, one per year, <laughs> very roughly. I'm sure yeah. it didn't work out that way. You probably had five and then nothing for a few years. And then but but the, yeah, the average kind of works out that way. You know, when you have, when you have kids, you, you know, some people have them at the same time. We spread ours out, yeah. you know, a little, a little under a year. So, so that, uh, or, uh, you know, a, sorry, 16 months, kind of a period of time. So boom, that was a policy. The next kid was born. Boom. That was a policy. Right. So, so the, sometimes those things gravitate naturally as you go through life and, you know, one thing it's kind of like, you know, for the people that are listening to your program, they, their mindset is thinking about growing their wealth and growing yeah. their asset base. So the brain is trying to tell you where or how might I go and get the next piece of real estate? It's always, how can I go get the next piece of property? Well, my brain and Vern, Vern I'm sure his is going to be very much the same. I'm always thinking, how do I go open up the next branch to my family's warehouse? How do I go get the next policy? Because that next policy is part of the extension of my family's wealth system where we we place capital and then we access it to go do the things in life that we're doing anyway. I'll give you a quick example if you don't mind. Uh, not not everything is about buying a piece of real estate, but sometimes it's just about no, no. utilizing the real estate you have. Would, you, would that be a yeah. fair assessment? So Absolutely. Repairs come due, those kind of things and, and regular maintenance. And so this is will just be a recent story of my own house. So I've, I've got a house here in Chilliwack, BC, uh, beautiful place. We're very happy. It's we're blessed to be in the mountains. And, uh, you know, I've got two dogs and it turns out they're really good at destroying a yard. I don't know. If you know oh, that. yes, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of them's 80, 85 pounds. And so he does a pretty good number on the yard. His paws are Whoa. like as big as my face. Uh, and you know, so, so being sitting out in the yard and spending a lot of beautiful time out in the summer, you have beautiful summers here. If you're staring at it and you're, you're mentally distracted at how the yard looks, you're not enjoying your life as much. No. You know, it's like, it's like if you were staring at a beautiful beach and, and the ocean in Costa Rica, but there was all kinds of garbage all over the sand, you would be, yeah. well, it's really, really nice, but it could be a lot better. <laughs> So I, I had that feeling and we made the decision, you know what, we're going to, we're going to choose to fix this problem. And I hired a guy to put in artificial turf in two and a half days, him and a crew of guys came in and they charged me 11,000 bucks. And it was one of the best quote unquote investments I've ever made. It's not yeah. producing a financial return, but it's producing an emotional return. The and value, the mental, well. the, the clarity, <laughs> it makes me more productive. It makes me happier. It makes my children happier. Our whole family life has been improved. It saves us time in a variety yeah. of ways. And so although it's not a financial uh, in, investment from that vantage point, the result is it creates financial capacity for the future because I have more time. I have more joy. I have more joy with my, my kids. My kids have more fun. The dogs, it's easier to clean up other dogs, like all these list of things, right? Well, I, I needed to pay the 12 grand from somewhere. I could have used a credit yeah. card. I could have used my savings account. I could have uh, used a real estate property account if I had, you know, a slush reserve in there. I took a policy loan and yeah. I paid the contractor. I, it went into there my it bank is. account. From my bank account, I sent him an e-transfer. And now I can choose how I want to replace that money. So, you know, you have a, a cell phone. Of course, you can't operate your, your real estate business or travel the globe very well if you don't have one of these. No. Every once in a while, have you ever had it where the battery drains on this thing and you can't do anything with it? 
Yeah, and you need to spend a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars to buy a new one or more. Buy a new one or get the battery fixed. But but even on a daily basis, just from using it, we're draining oh, yes. the capacity, the storage. This is the battery is a storage facility for energy for the phone. Every day as we use it, we take calls, we on Facebook, we're recording on StreamYard, we're 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 watching, we're watching great podcasts. We're draining that battery and the energy down and we need to replace it. So we plug it in at night or a couple of times in the day and it refills the tank. Well, the same way that you do that with your cell phone is the same thing you have to do with your financial energy. So you have to yeah. replenish that tank. So I have a loan repayment that I've set up to myself, my family over the period of, I think it was 18 months. We're making a monthly commitment back to our policy system and we're replenishing what we've utilized. So every time we make a payment, the balance goes of the, of the collateral we've used goes down, but the whole time the policy is growing. So the policy is going up, the loan balance is going down. Well, everything in the middle of there, that's good. That's the jelly yeah. in the sandwich. We can access that to go use it for the next thing we need to do in our life, which might be buying a vacation property in Costa Rica. No, I love it. No, great example. Uh, replenishing for sure is important. Just like you would your credit card or your bank, your savings account. You got to mm -hmm. save again. So yeah. instead of paying others, you're paying yourself now and yeah. you're making money and that's great. You, you use a line of credit to go buy a piece of property. Well, some, sooner or later, that line of credit's got to be replaced. Yeah, that line it. of credit with the third party bank isn't yours. No. That's not your money. You're using someone else's money to accomplish that. So the idea of OPM is being utilized here. The difference is we're changing who the OPM is with. And if it's with an insurance company you co-own, you actually co-own the lender. So yes. the, the lender is getting profits and generating revenue. That's good for the lender if you co-own the lender. Yeah. And you're not getting like HELOCs, the clawback. People were at 80%. They're going down to 65% loan to value you're controlling a lot more of it. So now I'm curious about Vern. What's your story? When did you start? When did you hear about the magical book? And what happened? What's your story? <laughs> well, uh, Rich, that was a heck of a start, but I wouldn't expect anything different from you. In fact, uh, I'll share a little bit about Richard and I and how we met before as well. But, uh, you know, I actually, what's interesting about the whole, this, my kind of background is much like Richard, actually, you know, anybody can really do this just like anybody has to use the function of banking. Anybody out there who's earning an income wants to hopefully invest or you know create cash flow. They want to eventually retire, or we prefer the term uh, enjoy passive income time. Like we're all already always playing this game called banking. And what I like yes. most about this process is uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. I have a construction background. I don't have a bunch of plaques and degrees and all that fancy stuff in the background to show you just my really cool lego collection so i decided to kind of pivot uh just probably much like you guys i started reading books and developing myself personally back in the late 2010s if you will and uh, i went from a construction background and i somehow wound up in the insurance industry don't ask me how i actually had no idea that i was <laughs> going to be i didn't even know i was going to be selling insurance uh, you know somebody told me Oh, you're going to be a quote financial advisor. And I thought, well, a financial advisor, that must mean I'm going to learn how to advise people on their finances. So maybe I am actually going to learn how to manage my finances. Like I had this illusion that I was going to learn how to actually deal with the day-to-day -day stuff and found out that that's not the case at all. But I, I had this, call it a gut, gut feeling. Like I knew I was in the right 
place, the right industry. I just wasn't maybe in the right lane. So I kind of struggled in the beginning in 2011, all the way to about 2013 when I first discovered the book. And then you might think, oh, well, you got the book and things started to get really better. No, it didn't get better at all because I had no <laughs> earthly idea what I was doing. I just discovered this book and I read it and I knew again, I was like, okay, this is why I'm here. But what do I do? And then I was looking for a Richard. I was looking for a Jason Lowe. I was looking for somebody who actually knew what this whole becoming your own banker thing was all about and how it worked. Because I knew that I needed coaching. I needed mentorship. So I literally kind of backburnered it for a while and continued to struggle. It wasn't until about 2016 when I really got serious and said, okay, I, I this is what I'm here for. I got to implement this process. And it's one of those, the dominoes kind of started falling into place where when the student is ready, the teacher will appear if you want to go that route. Yes. <laughs> and it was uh, somewhere, I think, in late 2017 or no, I think it was 2018. I finally met Richard. Richard actually became my first true mentor, somebody who had that experience. And by that time, I had already built up, I think I only had like three or four policies at that time. And I wasn't I was just kind of playing around and trying to figure it out. And they were just small policies. But guess what? doesn't matter what size they are. They all work exactly the same if they're structured correctly, right? So I started implementing the process myself and trying to kind of figure it out. And then Richard kind of took me under his wing and coached me up and mentored me and stuff like that. And, and I always had it in my head that there was this big, miraculous, complicated thing that I had to figure out. And then there's nothing truer that Nelson ever said, man, this is ridiculously simple. It's just like what Richard's talking about. Like yeah. the money's got to, right? It's got to flow. It's got to flow somewhere. So I can look at the bank and there's, you know, it's all good. They're actually quite brilliant. They figured out a really good system. They convinced us that we need them. So everything flows to the bank. The bank puts the money to work. The bank creates profit. And then the bank shares that with the owners. But yeah. I'm the one who is sending the energy to the bank for them to put money to work to create that profit. So I can save and I can borrow money from a bank. And then a life insurance company is just a deposit accepting institution, much like a bank. It's like, okay, so I just make my deposits or payments into the insurance company in the form of premium in one of my 12 policies. I'm, I'm lagging behind you now, Rich. You got ahead of me. You got your 13th policy in underwriting. So I've built up 12 policies over the last uh, 10 or close to 10 years or so. But I'm just pumping money into that system. And I go, okay, well, if the money's got to flow somewhere, it may as well flow and be put to work in an entity that I co-own. So I now get yeah. to participate in that profit and participate in that growth. So the more money I flow to the insurance company, the more money we flow to the insurance company, the more profitable the insurance company becomes. And inevitably, they are contractually bound to share that profit with us. So it's like if I can save money and borrow from an insurance company and I can save money and borrow from a bank, which one's going to benefit me and my family more? Right. Yeah. So it's ridiculous, simple, and it doesn't matter what the objective is. It doesn't matter if it's getting the floors. I have an example too, Rich. I just got my floors done. Right. So I had to pay a boatload of money to get the floors done. But then, you know, I also, you know, built up my system and, and I started first by focusing on the bad debt payments to somebody else, money leaving me. So I'm like paying down my truck payment and building up my policy. I borrow from the policy, like Richard said, I'm not interrupting the future compounding, the future growth in the system. I send a boatload of money from the policy system over to Ford Credit Canada. And what I did was I absorbed their debt. So, because to yeah. them, we, we know that that debt is an asset to them, but it's it a liability sure. to me, right? So all I did was I said, okay, well, what if I just redirect the payment 
that I was already planning to make to Ford for the next five and a half years? What if I just redirect that rate back to my own policy system? I now have use and control over that money and the capital is being put to work for me and my family. So the continuation of the growth and the accumulation continues. And now when high caliber opportunities track me down, I have ready access to capital and I can access it on demand. So it's ridiculously simple. It's exactly the same as what we're already always doing. It just puts us in a position to be more in control. And it just, it just spoke to me. And, and I'll share this for uh, some of the investor folks out there because Rich, tell me if you've heard, stop me if you heard this one. Hey, Vern, uh, I'm an investor. I put money to work. I don't save oh, yeah. money, right? I don't <laughs> save money. I go, well, that's fair. Like you want to put money to work. I get it. But isn't there always a lag period between now and the next opportunity? If you refinance a property or sell a property or get a windfall, yeah, right. Where is the capital going to reside between now and the next opportunity? How hard under is it? Under your mattress. Under <laughs> your mattress, right? We don't want to put it in the bank. And the other thing, Richard mentioned, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a just minimum capital surplus reserve, right? I have rental properties. I'm a responsible real estate investor. I have to have cash set aside in case vacancy or something goes wrong or a water heater blows up. Where so are we? Furnace always goes at Christmas time. Furnace always goes every single time, year, right? you know? I'm from New Brunswick. You want to see some pipes freeze. Like those pipes will burst. I'm here in Calgary now, but it gets pretty cold here. But don't get me started about the weather out there. That's the point is that one way or the other, we're always warehousing money and it's money in, money out. So I just want to flow that money to my own system. So I'm continuously growing my capital and I have an ever increasing pool. It's like a line of credit that I own, I control, and I set all the terms for, right? You, you made a really good point too, Vern. Like again, like the like the capital reserve or the you know the property account, your, your escrow account or whatever it is. You've got okay property taxes. A lot of people pay that monthly. They pay it with the with the mortgage directly, or some people pay it annually. Well, if you're paying it monthly, there's nothing wrong with that. Other than you're basically giving an interest free loan to the property tax authority. Or if you're doing yeah. it, if it's coming directly to the mortgage company. Well, the mortgage company is not paying it every month. They're able no. to use that money for that entire 12 month period. So they're implementing banking level behaviors because that's what they do. They're not teaching you how to do that. So no. th there's efficiency that can be created when you think about money flow. And you have to, you know, you do a, a property pro forma, you're going to have vacancy. You have an allotment for that. You have to budget it in. If you don't, you're going to have a rude awakening when you have your first yeah. vacancy. You <laughs> have to budget for maintenance items on our, you know, repair and maintenance. It has to. Properties get destroyed. If you're in the short-term rental business, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know. You can't. You can do your best to, you know, control who comes in, but you can't be perfect at it. And if you want to have passive income, you're probably not the one managing that process. So you've hired a manager, so that person needs to be paid. They're in their pro forma. They, not every manager gets it right all the time. They can't be no. perfect. It doesn't work. I'm sure you and I, and we can all go around this, in the table here and talk about some pretty horrific tenant stories. I know I've got a bunch of doozies. So these things do happen. And then a capital cost must take place. If you're not setting that aside, then what the result is you're not treating your real estate business like a business and your business yeah. could end up failing or you're going to have a serious struggle. Everything could be good for three, four, five years. And then a major hiccup is going to happen. And because everything is good and you're building up the account and the account's going to be like, oh man, this is great. Look at all this money. I can go get my next property. You drain that account down to zero. You go get another property but you also put an amplified lever on your problem potential because mm -hmm. now you got five properties that need help and a new one that might need some help and there's no money left to deal with it. 
So these are some of the traps that I've seen real estate investors get into in the past. And I've even experienced those myself. I've been in that scenario. So when we think about where you want to warehouse that money, you need to make sure you have access to it for its intended purpose. But where do you want it to live? Do you want it to just build up and stockpile an account where you're earning 1% at, you know, whatever, brick and mortar <laughs> bank? Or yeah. if, and, and again, not everyone's in this scenario. Everyone's got a different family structure. Not everyone has kids. Not everyone's married. Most of the people that we work with, they're, they're you know, a typical Canadian family, a North American family. They, they're married. They, they either want kids or they got them or whatever. And they want to be able to protect those individuals as well. There's a responsibility there. So having the insurance is generally recommended and usually a need of theirs. So why don't we just combine all that stuff together and we get the financial energy working where it's going to produce the most energy in your life. And that's really the, the format. And so everyone has these existing cash flows going through their life because we get on a, almost this like robotic path of month in, month out. Here's where the money's going. Everyone else is getting all the money. Mm -hmm. There's not usually a lot of thought process into how can I get this money working for me in an interim basis before it goes to someone else's account. And this is where we can, with some good planning and good structuring and, and getting to understand the ebbs and flows of a person's you know, annual cash flow, we can start helping them plod forward to be able to harness some of that potential over time. And it, it, it's not always perfect. And it does take commitment. It does take time. Rome wasn't built in a day. A real estate empire is not going to be built in a day. You got to put in time and energy. You got to listen to great programs like this. You got to read some books. You got to go look at some property. You got to talk to a few realtors. You got to go through a mortgage application. All of these steps are part of your learning process to get to proficiency. Then you might get a property, but you never dealt with tenants. You never marketed for tenants. Yeah. You never had a tenant problem. <laughs> you don't have a contact list to solve the AC unit that you need when it's 38 degrees out there in the humidity in Costa Rica. These are all things that you need to build into your business structure, and they do not happen overnight. So just like you have to capitalize your energy, your effort, and your time and your dollars to acquire the real estate that's going to bring you the freedom you want, you have to do the same thing in this process of becoming your own banker. One of the big differences is, hey, you might need 50, 60, 100, 200 grand to go get your next real estate deal. It might take you a while to get that. You can get started in the process of becoming your own banker right away for an awful lot less to begin the journey of that learning process, if that kind of makes sense. Yes. And I'm really excited. The two of you are joining us for um, Invest in Pura Vida. So it's the second edition. And you're going to be live in Playas del Coco answering questions from investors, many of which uh, my focus, of course, is real estate. But as Vern said earlier, there's a lot of people investing in other things. It doesn't have to be real estate. More and more people are buying businesses that may happen to own real estate or all kinds of things. I mean, there's many ways to invest, but this event will be focused on real estate. And a big question we get is financing. How do I buy this piece of paradise? Well, people do the traditional way. Okay, I got cash, lines of credit. I've got RSPs, PFSAs. Okay, but then again, that's all your means. You're not using OPM. You could get into OPM or you could start becoming your own banker and plan. It, it's not going to be like you put the money in and you can buy your property right away. It is a process, as you've said, but maybe alongside you can start building that. So that's why 
I really wanted to have you as an addition to our conference. I think um, the attendees will learn everything they need to know, but that's a big key that is missing for Costa Rica or anywhere like Canada, US, anywhere around the globe where you want to invest. And uh, it's a great strategy. You're having your cake and eating it too. And no calories. That's really good too. <laughs> and interest though, so I guess yeast or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think Vern's a big fan of cake. Uh, I, I'm more of a gravy guy myself. But one, one, one thing that I find, uh, again, like, so I think it was last month, I did a I did a webinar for, uh, for you know, I think it was public for Canada or whatever. And uh, some friends of ours have a real estate resilience summit that they do virtually. And so we, we had oh, yeah. uh, sponsored that event and, and we did a webinar kind of for anyone that attended that event. And I, I walked through an example of someone doing a, like a flip deal. You know, they had money exit out of a deal. So they sold a property. They've got capital. It's earmarked ready to go into the next deal, but the next deal wasn't there yet. Okay, great. Deal shows up on the table. They've got an, they've got an accepted offer. They're closing in you know three months, so they're lining everything up. Well, I showed an example of, hey, what if we can take this financial energy and get it into a policy system? We won't be able to access every dollar we put in, but we're going to have a pretty good amount of liquidity to be able to access money to go put it into the energy of paying for the, the 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 flip requirements you know you're doing a flip it's it's a three-month project you got to pay contractors you got to buy equipment but you're not all the money doesn't go in one shot you know you you get billed every month no. for the contractor as it's things not. go so you take a policy loan pay the contractor take a policy loan pay the contractor. you, you use visa to buy stuff at home depot you know the same things you're going to do but then the money doesn't sit on visa for very long you get your points you get some travel points you can go to costa rica you know all that stuff yeah. Take a policy loan and you you pay off visa. Okay, at the end of the project, if the flip everything goes well, you sell the sell the project or you do a refi if that's what you want to do. Maybe it's more of a burr strategy. You exit out some of that capital and then you go and you place it back onto the policy loan, so it's ready for the next deal. That would be no different than completing that same real estate deal, having that money sit in a bank account waiting for the next deal. So I walked through an example of that and kind of like the, the almost the month by month experience of going through that journey, you know, using, and, you know, nowadays we have a lot of flexibility that we can build into this process. Um, even such a thing as like backdating. So as an example, I've got a policy and underwriting right now. Uh, the gentleman who it's going to be on his birthday's in September. Well, I'm able to go six months back from his birthday to secure his, his, his younger self. I'm basically like time traveling oh, that's cool. with, with that. In order to do that, I have to put all the money in to, to get that done for the first year. I want to yeah. do that. That's what I want to do. And that particular policy is about, it's about $27,000 a year. All right. Okay. My minute, my minimum commitment on that policy, I'm going to ballpark it. Let's say it's 7,500 bucks. So that's what I'm required to do. But the amount I get to put in is about 27, even call it 27,5. So 20,000 is flexible. 7,500 is required. Every policy design is going to be done a little bit differently. Every circumstance is different and unique to the individual. That's just what's happening in this particular experience for me. And, you know, come March or whatever that in 2024, I get the privilege to be able to inject capital into that again. And I want to. As soon as I do it, I'm creating a leapfrog effect on the potential of that money. I'm using today's you know, Canadian, crappy Canadian currency. I think we can all agree that's pretty <laughs> crappy. And I'm creating a guaranteed future outcome on that money, a future cash flow. So everything we do in, in life around real estate, we're basing on cash flow, usually a monthly cash flow. 
in the infinite banking space, we're talking about a future cash flow that we're locking into place because we're setting in motion a path where your capital money is going to grow to equal its target outlook. But we can we can control what the target outlook looks like and we can eliminate the market requirements. So the the problem, not the problem, but a problem that's experienced by a lot of real estate, and there, many of them are experiencing it today, is things like government overreach, people yeah. changing the rules, municipal rules changing, tax rules changing. I'll talk about that in a second. And and then additionally, the market volatility. So a, a, a municipal government change of a provincial or a federal government change could completely and totally impact not only your value of your piece of real estate, your ability to sell it, what the market will bear, but it could also impact your rent roll, what your rent potential is, your rental, you know, the ability to increase rents, rent controls. All of these factors are things that are manipulated outside of your of you. You might own the real estate already and you're impacted by that change. And unfortunately, you, you have no say in the matter other than the next time you get a chance to vote. Similarly, market conditions like Bank of Canada interest rates or Federal Reserve interest rates, those are things that aren't necessarily in our control. And they have a direct reflection on your value of the real estate, potentially. You know, if the rate yeah. goes up, well, less people in theory can debt service the new purchase them. and therefore a possible, not always the case, but a, a highly likely outcome of that is a value decline because yeah. a, a value of a piece of real estate isn't what the appraisal says. It's whatever a willing buyer and a willing seller can okay. agree to. Yeah, so that's what we say, we've seen. <laughs> the value is subjective. It The value on an appraisal is what they think it's worth in a given market environment, but that number changes. And I can And I can tell you some horror stories having invested in Alberta for 20 years and I've had some good wins and I can tell you I've had some abysmal losses along the path. Yeah, it's a tough province. Uh, I've got one property right now in Fort McMurray. Now, I, I don't know if you know this or not. We had some big fires there a couple of years ago. Yes. And, <laughs> and then there? there was a then there was a big flood that happened a couple of years yes. after that. And then there was this thing that, that we get out of the ground called oil. And would you believe it? It's kind of cyclical. And sometimes people, it's not going so well and people leave that that particular municipality in droves. You know, when 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 200 percent, you know, the people that live there don't even don't even live there. They work there, but they don't actually live there. Like it creates a weird dynamic. So at one time I had a property that uh, was worth two hundred twenty five thousand based on an appraisal. Today, if I wanted to sell that same unit, it's worth about 50. Oh, OK. That's yeah, that's a big dip. Wow. So and I also had a twenty eight thousand dollar special assessment on that property. Uh, you know, course. 12, 12 years ago. Condo. So right. these are things that do happen. And I, I'm not, I'm not uh, jaded by that experience. You know, I, I, I made the investment. I took on the risk. Yeah. But the learning opportunity that came with it is I've made more money off the learning opportunity than I have from the real estate, if that makes any sense. Yes. Being able time. to share the story <laughs> of how Richard got screwed over by a crappy piece of real estate has been more valuable <laughs> to me than the real estate has. Definitely. Wow. So there you go. Wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to meet you in person. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to spend uh, well three days together. So get ready <laughs> for lots of questions from the audience. Lots of time together. So anybody listening right now to this recording, you have to join us. There's still a few tickets left. Not too many. If not, we'll have to bump somebody out or figure out a way like... <laughs> um, 
But yeah, investinpurevida.com, check it out. And how can we get a hold of you? So Vern, what's the best way if somebody wants to reach out to you and then Richard? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I guess the best way to, for somebody to reach out to us uh, is, or at least I don't know about you, Rich, maybe it's probably very similar because we represent the same company, but you could probably just go to our website, ascendantfinancial.ca and go to uh, meet our team. And then you'll see all of our amazing uh, teammates and our advisors there. Richard and myself will be there. You just click on our headshot and then it'll take you right to uh, another page. It'll tell you a little bit about us and uh, it'll have our contact information right there. Just shoot me an email or of course, you could always uh, ease on over to our YouTube channel as well, the Banker's Vault or Richard's. You see his uh, swag in the background there and his cool hat, the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast. Uh, you can always go to YouTube and, and search for Banker's Vault or Wealth Without Bay Street and uh, you can you know opt into our content or whatever that way too. You can also do that. Yeah, we, we always recommend, especially mm -hmm. when you're on your flight down to Costa Rica, it's a long flight. You're probably going to want some listing uh, some materials. So yeah, download, download a few po few podcasts from Wealthville Bay Street. If you've got the YouTube premium, they let you download some of those videos so you can put them on the plane. <laughs> um, so yeah, hook up with the Bankers Vault and the Wealthville Bay Street uh, YouTube channel. You know, and, and on that note, because I know a lot of Canadians, of, of course, are uh, listeners to your program and, and are going to be joining us down there. Um, there has been a lot of uh, tax changes coming up in 2024 in Canada. And so I would encourage yes. everyone, uh, we've got a podcast that's going to be released on December 20th, uh, talking about some of those 2024 tax changes and updates. Um, I recorded that earlier this week with our colleague, Henry Wong, who's a, who's a tax professional. And I, I, I will say, I, I think it's a must listen to episode. There are certain changes, especially even in the real estate space around like uh, short term rentals in Canada that are going to be impacted. And, and there also is some other major tax changes that are, that seem really subtle and seem like they maybe won't be a big deal, but depending They're on where you're at, deal. the type of business that you're in, the way that the tax system works in Canada, it actually could be an enormously huge deal. So yeah. we'll go through a, a case study example on there, uh, it's going to be a bit of a long episode, but I would really encourage people to listen to that. It, it could be a, a very eye-opening experience for many people. PPP, I'm not sure if you're getting into that, but if you're an employee, Big difference and our Alberta friends, I don't mean to pick on you, but the potential of removing part of it is causing a lot of, anyway, a lot turmoil of, a lot of stress in the country. Yeah. 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 That's if you're counting on that. I mean, I never counted on CPP, but if you do, yeah. Anyway, get ready. It might be um, turbulent. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll plant, a, I'll plant a seed for you on on the biggest thing that uh, most people don't know about. And in fact, I didn't know. It. I just learned about it here is... You know, in Canada, there's actually two tax systems and you're a participant in both. You just didn't know that. And one's the mainstream system and the other one is called alternative minimum tax. And they yeah. basically run two calculations. And and if whichever one is going to take the most tax dollar out of your That's pocket the you is get. the one you're going to get dinged with. They made massive changes to the alternative minimum tax calculation. And I suspect in 2024, a lot of people are going to have a rude awakening on what their tax bill is going to be they didn't expect because of those changes. Yeah, thankfully we're not in France at 73%, but we're getting very close in some areas. So we shall see. So that's why you have to prepare. That's why you need to attend, uh, find out more with Wealth Without Bay Street, become your own banker and start controlling. You can't control the tax man, but you can control other elements and build a hedge against it. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. To have a brief chat with you uh, no wine today but i'm sure in costa rica we may have some wine or beer or something and that's it so thanks everybody for attending and uh, take care cheers cheers bye